Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. Our guest today is the Governor of the Commonwealth, Matt Bevan. It's a fascinating time to talk to the Governor as he weighs when to call a special session of the state legislature to deal with a pension relief bill for some 100 programs in several universities. He's also just announced an update about the Kentucky Wired Broadband Project. Bevan is seeking re-election and he said this week he's certain he'll have the President and Vice President in the campaign for him. In his first term, Bevan has pushed hard to fund the state's pension obligations. He's riled up some educators with comments along the way. As he seeks a second term, the governor has signaled that abortion will be a major issue in the campaign. And he says his administration's policies have boosted business in the Commonwealth. Joining us today, Governor Matt Bevan. Thank you for coming. Appreciate great it very to, much. Great to be with you. Really as fascinating as indeed one way to describe it. It's a <laughs> interesting times to be sure. It is. Uh, we were uh, able to coordinate your visit with uh, a busy day for you in Lexington. I know you were here, you spoke to the county judge executives earlier, and you also made an announcement about Kentucky Wire, that broadband project that is supposed to bring high-speed internet across the, uh, the entire state. Auditor Mike Harmon last year said, you know, we might have to throw the towel in on this because the expenses are so much, it would be very difficult to, uh, to, to continue. But you have apparently determined, let's push ahead and not pull out of it. You don't have an option when a state issues bonds. It's a little bit sad, and unfortunately, when an auditor doesn't appreciate the fact that when you've issued bonds, you're on the hook for them. You don't get to say, whoops, hey, we want a mulligan. Those bonds have been issued. The state is obligated to pay those off with interest, whether we build anything or not. So the idea to say, we're going to throw in the towel and just not complete the project is to saddle the taxpayers of Kentucky with hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars worth of cost for absolutely no constructive purpose. These bonds were sold by the previous governor's administration. I came in and was handed a, a, a box full of parts and, and very little in terms of instructions on how to assemble them, but the premise is a good one. Hal Rogers, this has been a passion of his from the beginning, and he's right. We want broadband to reach every corner of our commonwealth. And so for me, the idea of defaulting on our state's debt is unacceptable. No governor in any state anywhere should ever want to be the one defaulting on debt. So I said we're not going to default. We're not going to allow our credit rating to be hammered as a result of that. We're not going to undermine the support of the business community who now don't trust that Kentucky will stand behind its final and financial obligations. That's what would have happened if we defaulted. So your announcement on Friday was uh, that there's kind of been a milestone reached in the construction. Just today we announced that what is called Ring 1A, there are going to be a half a dozen rings or so that cover the state. Ring 1A is now lit. Now lit does not mean people go and plug in their computer or turn on a Wi-Fi signal and tap into it. But it means that local carriers have access now to these trunks and now what's called the middle mile. The first ring is connected to the two global internet hubs that exist in Kentucky. One's in Louisville, one's in Cincinnati, but they cover Kentucky right now. There's a number of them around the country. There is now a ring that includes those two cities and Lexington where we sit today. That is ring 1A. The next one will move its way down I-75 and then into the eastern part of the state, simultaneously starting to move west. And we would expect by this time next year, uh, we should have the entire state lit up. That means that the 
primary trunks and the middle miles will be built and then the local carriers that people may be using with now or new ones who might come in will have access to be able to tap into that infrastructure and deliver broadband connectivity right into people's homes. Many have said something needs to give in eastern Kentucky as we know that many of those Appalachian counties are among the poorest in America. You also announced this week that in your next budget proposal if there is one that you get to do that you would allocate 100 percent of coal severance money to those counties Yes, I've been advocating for this for some time, and indeed we have, under my administration, started to put more and more of the coal severance dollars to the discretion of the people in those counties from which those dollars come. It is my proposal to put the last remaining dollars going to the General Assembly back into local control. They need it. They're desperately uh, uh, underfunded in almost every one of those coal counties. Some of them are in true financial crisis. It's a difference of about $30 million. That's a lot of money, but diversified amongst uh, you know a couple of dozen counties. I mean, those are folks that are going to then be able to use those monies at local discretion. That's $30 million out of an annual budget of over $11 billion. We will be able to, we'll do fine at the state level, but this will be a meaningful lifeline to folks in our counties. Let's get to this uh, pension issue. Uh, uh, starting uh, uh, this coming week, really, uh, July 1, the regional universities and more than 100 quasi-public uh, programs, uh, things like libraries and spouse abuse centers and uh, mental health uh, resource areas, health departments, uh, are set to face big hikes in their pension payments. Uh, do you believe that the legislature is in a position uh, to do something to soften that blow uh, before, it, uh, before it hits and, and causes some of them, they say, to have to close their doors? Yeah. It, the question is, are they in a position? Yes. The second question is, will they exercise the position they're in to actually do the job? I wish I could predict that. They could do it. They're, the votes are there to get this done. Uh, the reality is, though, that people are often worried about their own vacation schedules or going to conferences or family reunions. And while those things are important, they really are, I don't mean to minimize this, but if you're a one of 138 men and women in Kentucky who have agreed to step forward and serve the public as an elected legislator, that's your first priority, period. In terms of this issue, in this instance, barring a personal crisis in your family, this is the most important thing. So they, the votes are there. The knowledge is there. The understanding of what needs to be done is there. But until people put that in front of their own personal interests, it's not going to happen. Has and so I need the House and Senate leadership to tell me that they and their members will come and vote on this. Otherwise, I'm not going to waste taxpayers' time and money. It sounds like it is frustrating to you that it has come down to a, a scheduling issue, right? Of trying it, to decide it, when yeah. you can call it? It, well, it, exactly. That's essentially what it is. I mean, in some measure, though, there's, it has always been only 138 men and women who can make this decision. If I could do it myself, it would already be done. You have made the case that 51 votes gets it done. Sure. Um, I mean, it, well, it'll, it, you know, it can have anything between 50 and 100. But you know it's a non-budget year, and uh, you know, there are some right. who say it requires 60 votes, a supermajority this true. year. There's, there's absolutely untrue. That's being brought up by people who want to just sow discord uh, and, and create things for political reasons. Only appropriation bills need that type of a vote. This is not an appropriation. What happens if the legislature does not act in the coming weeks? If they don't act, then you're going to see the cost of the pension 
commitments made by these 118 quasi-governmental organizations skyrocket from 49% to 84% on average. And that means that they're going to see costs for bills that they can't afford. Now, the, the sad reality is this. That 84% is the true cost. We are trying to come up with a way to feather that true cost in, to make sure that true cost does not land on their plate in one fell swoop starting July the 1st. And this bill allows it to be feathered in over the next year and change to ease that way in and to give local judge executives and local decision makers up to, and, and these quasi-organizations themselves that are involved in deciding this, up and uh, more than a year before they even have to make a decision. And but they can decide to stay in the system as it is, pay the increase, pay in the feathered end increase, buy themselves out. We've given them multiple options. The power is in their hands, but only the legislature can decide to let them have that power. Uh, you know, your focus on the pension problem has been uh, admired by many, even by some of your critics, uh, who have said, you know, there are state obligations that have to be paid, but along the way, uh, the language used has riled some stakeholders, and you know that, Governor. Do you regret the way that, uh, that you have uh, characterized educators from time to time? No, because I haven't characterized educators as anything even remotely like people have been told. I regret nothing that I have ever said about an educator. Nothing. There are many things that have been said that I said that had I said them, I would regret. They believe but that they, you called them They may them believe thugs, it. Of right? course they did. And here's what I will say on this program that will be seen by any number of folks. I will pay $1,000 in cash to anybody. The wonderful thing in a digital day and age, if I had actually said that, somebody would have a recording of it. Everybody says they've heard it. If they all heard it, they must have heard it in a recording, either on audio or video. I'll pay $1,000 in cash to anybody who can produce any evidence that I ever actually said that. It's 100% made up. And somebody repeating it as if it's fact, printing it as if it's fact, and maybe even believing it as it is fact, doesn't make it a fact. So the important thing to understand is this. In my immediate family, between my grandmother, my father, my siblings, there are six public education degrees. I mean, my grandmother was a retired educator. She was widowed when my mother was young, raised two single kids, was the daughter of immigrants herself, had nothing except her teacher's pension. People wonder why I fight for this. My grandmother lived to be 94 years old. Had her pension failed, she would have been left destitute. There are people like that in Kentucky. And this isn't a political winner. Somebody said to me that I'm doing this for political reasons. Really? How's it working out for me, Bill? Subpoenas I mean, were also issued by your administration for uh, some teachers who called in sick uh, yeah. to uh, go to Frankfurt and uh, be heard on the, on the pension issue. Uh, again, you, you back up none on that, right? No, I mean, this is number one, I'm not involved in that. That's the labor cabinet. But that is the labor cabinet's responsibility. When there is a work issue of any kind, one way or the other, any claim of anything, it is their responsibility to investigate that. That's what they're doing. There's no determination. I've heard a thousand hypotheses and theories as to what they're going to do. I don't even know what they're going to do. But it is their responsibility to investigate any labor dispute, concern, stoppage, uh, interruption, whatever. That is the job of the labor cabinet to investigate, and that's what they're doing. Your opponent called on you to uh, remove your labor secretary uh, uh, for that action. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that is the most absurd request. 
That's like, I mean, I could ask him to do his job as Attorney General and defend the ultrasound bill that we just won in the Sixth Circuit, and he was castigated for not doing his job. The reality is he's asking me to ask people to not do their job. He's an expert in not doing his job, so maybe he assumes other people in state government don't have to do theirs. But our labor cabinet and our labor secretary have a specific job to do. They're doing the job. What the end result of that job will be, we'll see when we get there. Uh, but him asking people not to do their job is uh, uh, an insult to the people of Kentucky. Governor Matt Bivens, our guest on Kentucky Newsmakers. He's announced he's going to Fancy Farm, so we'll talk more about this campaign. That seems to be an area of uh, interest. We're coming back in a moment. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers, and we're glad you're with us today. And Governor Matt Bevin is our guest, Republican, running for re-election. His opponent is Democrat Andy Bashir. We'll, of course, be scheduling him soon for an appearance on this program as well. Governor, you announced you'll be going to Fancy Farm. It'll be August 3rd in western Kentucky. Hot temperatures, spicy barbecue, uh, and it can get uh, fiery as far as what comes from that stage and the, the words as well. I know the, the first year you were out there, you, you seemed to... Uh, register some discomfort with that. It's not discomfort, it's just to me it's a sad commentary on where we have become uh, as a nation, what we have come to in terms of our discourse, uh, public discourse specifically, political discourse even more specifically. We've just become so uh, vitriolic to no good constructive purpose. I love the tradition of Fancy Farm. I love what Mark Wilson and others have done to keep this tradition going. St. Jerome's Parish and the work that they do to raise money on this is, is admirable. But here's the problem, it's become less and less a place that people want to bring their families, and that's unfortunate. There's such anger, such nasty language, such foul behavior on the part of people that this not only diminishes the point, which is to create political conversation, People just sit there, yell and scream and swear at each other and try to drown each other out. How does this help anything? And if it keeps people away who might otherwise be enjoying this great barbecue and ice cream and bingo and, and other things and fundraising for a good cause, then why, why should we perpetuate such silliness? So yeah. I'm going to go. I, it, it is important, but I hope that there can be a little more mutual respect on both sides of the equation. How is this campaign uh, going to roll out? And you have indicated that uh, there will be uh, some nationalization of this race. Oh, I'm sure. I Think about it. It's the only race in 2019, so I'm the only re Republican incumbent running for governor or anything on a statewide level in 2019 in the United States. So it is going to be seen by many as a proxy for what's coming in 2020, both in this state and nationally. So there are already a lot of outside players that are here hoping to experiment with ways to reach people, raise monies, move voters, turn out votes or suppress votes. All that is happening in Kentucky because we're sort of the only gig in town in 2019. So it will be nationalized whether we want it to or not. The president and vice president have been clear. Uh, they're good personal friends of mine. I have a very good professional relationship. Kentucky has never had stronger relationships with the White House in the history of Kentucky than they do now. And I'm grateful for that. 
and they have both made clear they're going to be here, both of them on multiple occasions, and I look forward to it, and the people of Kentucky are looking forward to it. As you seek re-election, you have a, a new running mate, and that is yeah. a State Senator Ralph Alvarado. Uh, your current lieutenant governor is upset about uh, some members of her staff being terminated. She's referred to dark forces in the administration. This week you've said that uh, you have a great relationship with Lieutenant yeah. Governor Hampton. Uh, are, are there hard feelings over uh, her not being chosen as your running mate again? Uh, and certainly not on my part, but again, it, I could appreciate there might be on hers or that of people who know and love her. But the important thing to understand, this was never personal. She and I have talked about this for more than two years uh, as to what we might do when we get to this point in time. And so for well over a year, it's been clear this is the direction we were going in. And she and I have had a lot of private uh, conversations about this, the specifics of which don't matter. But her heart, her passion is in reaching out to young people, speaking to them, encouraging them. Her story is the embodiment of the American dream. It's an amazing story. And it's one that I'm glad people have been able to hear. She's been a very good lieutenant governor. She has served loyally and faithfully, and I'm appreciative of that. I really am. But as I look forward in the things that we need, both legislatively and from a healthcare standpoint in our state, having a legislator and a medical doctor, somebody who can take those issues into the next four years is something our current lieutenant governor wasn't interested in and didn't have the experience in. And it wasn't anything on her. It's just that sometimes you move in a different direction in the next term. That's where this comes down. You have no doubts that you have the right to control the staff of the lieutenant oh, governor's office. No question. I mean, it's constitutional. They're, the thing that a lot of people don't understand, a lieutenant governor has no constitutional authority or responsibility. The lieutenant governor's job is one that's simply whatever they and the then governor, you know, decide it to be. So, and, and let me clear up one thing very quickly. I mean, you mentioned two people. There haven't been two people let go uh, in, the, in, the, in the vein that is being implied. Steve Nipper, who was her chief of staff, chose to run for secretary of state. Two other people did as well. Steve Nipper did, Andrew English did, and Heather French Henry did. All three of them were appointees by me to positions in my administration. Two of them followed the rules and stepped down in order to run. One did not, and ultimately was told, then that's going to be the end of your, your uh, employment. And now, ironically, he's suing to get his job back, which is 0% chance that's going to happen. So there's a, there's a way things work, uh, and, and he was removed simply because he didn't want to follow the rules. You uh, plan to campaign on a strong economy. Uh, there have been about 50,000 jobs that have been uh, created uh, in, the, in the last few years. Uh, you have said that uh, you think that changes in regulations are part of what has pushed that along. Question, no question about it. I mean, I wear this little button here. People here may is, wonder what here that is. Here are scissors cutting through red tape. Uh, here's the wonderful thing about red tape. Nobody loves it. I mean, R Republicans hate it. Democrats hate it. Uh, everybody hates uh, red tape. We have cut now and or modernized 27% of all the regulations in this state. My goal was about 30%. We're on our way. Thousands of rules have been eliminated. We've simplified this. We help companies get to yes or no quickly. This creates jobs and opportunities. We have more Kentuckians working than ever in history. We have the lowest unemployment ever in history. $20 billion in private capital invested in our state in the last three and a half years, more than any 10-year period previously in history. These things are not by accident. It's because as a business person, I'm speaking with business people. And in this race, Bill, it's important for people who are voters to understand you're going to end up with one of two people as the governor. 
Do you want someone who's been a CEO who has created jobs and can have that conversation, or someone who's never created a job, has been in the political world or under his father's shadow politically his entire life, and doesn't know how to communicate with people and can't speak off of things that aren't written down? I mean, that's the choice. You know, though that's just on the economic. Then you have social issues, the Second Amendment. He's for various forms of gun control. I am not. I'm just signing a constitutional carry that went into effect yesterday before we taped this show. I mean, you look at things like uh, the life issue. I'm strongly pro-life, as are the majority of people in this state. He's strongly pro-abortion and supported by the most radical elements, Planned Parenthood and NARAL and others. There's just a clear choice for people. Is it your hope that one of those uh, abortion restriction bills will make its way to the uh, U.S. Supreme Court? We just today had a ruling from the Sixth Circuit on the ultrasound bill where they have simply said it is now done. It's not, it is settled in the Sixth Circuit. So for all the states in the Sixth Circuit now, ultrasound bills that have been pending are now set. The only way that could be challenged would be at the Supreme Court. I think the most likely would be the non-eugenics bill, where we said in our state you can't kill a child based on its race, on its gender, or based on a perceived disability. Our Attorney General refused to defend either one of those, and, and, and I've defended them both. I think it's that last one that's most likely to go to the Supreme Court. The Kentucky Chamber of Commerce is basically telling employers that they are going to have to hire people with uh, drug convictions and those yeah. who may be needing ongoing treatment. The number of overdoses uh, continues to climb as we look at the statistics. Uh, where are we in this, uh, this awful opioid battle? I tell you, we're... we're we're holding steady, and that's better than it's been. We have been losing ground year after year after year. We actually saw overdose deaths decline in Kentucky from opioid uses and heroin and things affiliated in the last year. Now, we're seeing a proliferation of all sorts of drug use on other fronts. There's still much work to be done. We just recently won an NIH grant, the largest in the history of Kentucky, it's certainly through the University of Kentucky, $90 million to be able to look at 17 specific communities in our state and reduce overdose deaths by 40 percent that's the goal in the next three years only we got the biggest state of any state only three other states New York Massachusetts and Ohio got anything we got the most of anybody because we are out there on the front lines you talk about people returning to the workforce the first step act signed by President Trump when he signed that into law in the Oval Office I was the only governor in America that was there standing beside him at that desk as he signed this I spoke in that room on that day this is a passion of mine we have nine 97% of the people in our prison are going to get out. We need to assimilate them back into the workforce. This is something we're working on. Louisville's Metro Council has passed an ordinance directing the local police there to be more hands-off on small amounts of marijuana possession. There are uh, officers, though, there who are sworn to uphold the state law, which says otherwise. Yeah. There's a petition circulating to decriminalize uh, small amounts of marijuana at the state level. How do you feel about that? Whether it is drug possession, whether it is immigration, or whether it is anything in between, we are a nation of laws. The reason people want to be here, the greatness of this country has always been that among other things, we are a nation of laws. If the laws are there, they should be enforced, period. If the laws are wrong, we have a way to change them. 
change the laws. You said things are circulating. Fair enough. Wait until those laws are changed before we stop applying them. For people in Louisville or anywhere else to be signaling to their law enforcement officers who have taken an oath to uphold the very law itself to not do it nudge, nudge, wink, wink, you can disregard it, is the wrong approach, and, and I think it's a mistake. Do you have a stance on what the law should be? Again, I'll let our legislators decide that, but here's what I am a big proponent of. We need to be a lot more intentional about targeting those who are truly of danger to us in society. The people who are locked up should be the ones who are a danger, and we should be a little more careful about the millions of people in America that we put away for non-offensive, mostly drug-related crimes. Our final moments with Governor Matt Bevan on Kentucky Newsmakers in just a moment. Welcome back to WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers. We're visiting with Kentucky Governor Matt Bevan today, who's uh, seeking re-election. Next year is a budget year. Uh, if he's re-elected, he would be uh, proposing uh, the budget to the legislature. We know some big expenses are coming. Governor, we're down to just a couple of minutes here, by the way. But the school safety bill was passed but not funded. Uh, we know that Kentucky's revenue code gives away a lot of exemptions. Will you take another look at, uh, at tax reform? Oh, absolutely. Year? has to happen. We need to move as a state. And incidentally, there's a long history of passing things without funding them in this state. This is one of the people. People are screaming and yelling about the fact that under this administration, we pay what we owe uh, and we push back against things we can't afford. Uh, this is just the way we run our homes and our businesses. This is my pledge as governor is how we're going to run the state while I'm governor. There needs to be tax reform, modernizing our tax code. I want to see us more of a consumption-based tax economy and not a production-based. Stop taxing the people who create the wealth and the jobs and the income and start taxing people when they spend it. Then we get to decide how much tax we want to spend depending on whether I want to buy something large or small. That's what states like Tennessee have done. It takes time and it will be done in steps. We've already cut our core corporate and personal tax rates by 17%. I want to continue to cut those to zero. It will take time to get it done. We have a lot of roads needs yes. uh, in the state. W could you support uh, an increase yes. in the gasoline tax? Yes, more than most people think we're going to be able to and more than most people think we can handle. The reality is we have a tremendous amount of expense there. We have bridges and roads that are already in need of repair, let alone others that need to be built. And it's going to require a collective effort on the part of the people who use these roads to pay for it. The only way we can have control at the state level is with a variable excise tax on fuel at the pump. It is going to have to go up. Nobody likes the idea of it, including myself. No one wants to pay more than we need to, but we have to pay for the things we use. Public universities have seen their state support cut continuously for more than a decade now. Uh, tuitions have gone up, student debts are increasing. Do you see getting back to more funding for higher education? I'd love to. I really would. But again, understand this. If you actually fund, you, you mentioned all these things that are passed and not funded. When you fund them, where does the money come from? From somewhere else, like public education. So every time we pass a bill in the legislature with no money, everyone who's getting money now knows they're going to get a little bit less if that ends up getting funded. We need more taxpayers. They need to pay more money each. We're going to ultimately have a lower tax structure, more people here paying taxes, 
Uh, and I look forward to the day, and it's coming, when we're going to be able to put more money back into higher education and not less. Governor Bevin, thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Kentucky Newsmakers, and make it a good week ahead.